Good morning, family and friends, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Clear Creek. How you doing today, church? It's good to see you. We are in the second Sunday of the season called Advent. Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas, and it comes from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means coming or arrival, because these are the weeks leading up to the, the day that we celebrate Christ's first arrival as a baby and really in anticipation of his second arrival as king and conqueror. My name is Josh. Again, it's so good to see you this morning. And I want to welcome everyone who is joining us online, at home, in your car. Actually, if you're in your car, pull over and then join us. We're so glad, though, that you're with us. And in fact, you may not know this, but it is amazing that we have people joining us online right now because this morning we got in and the internet was down. And our tech geniuses spent you know, time, they were going through all the wires, checking everything out, and I just thought, well, we, we just won't have online service this morning, and we'll try to let people know through social media, whatever. Two minutes before the 9 o'clock, or 9.30 gathering, and I'm told, we've got internet! Church, that's the first Christmas miracle of 2021, and we're just so glad that people at home are able to join us as well, and so it's good. Every week during the season of Advent, we light a candle. This has been a tradition passed down for centuries in the church. And the way we always begin is with the hope candle, for without hope you cannot live. And Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. But then today, on the second Sunday of Advent, the church lights the love candle. And we're going to talk about this because in a world that is not defined by love, but defined by division and hate, It is true what the old song says, what the world needs now is sweet love, yeah. And so today we're going to look at a song that actually, if we'll peel the pieces back, go beneath the veneer of the words of the sentimentality to the actual theology underneath the song today, you will see that love is not only what we need, it is genuinely what God offers You say, well, what song would demonstrate that? And I'm going to take you back to the oldest song that the church sings at Christmas. Are you ready? It's this song right here. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Takes us back over 1,200 years. We know that monasteries and monks would sing this song as early as the 8th or 9th century. Now, they didn't sing it in English. They sang it in Latin. There are some hints in history that perhaps parts of this song were sung as early as the 5th century. But we know for a fact by the 8th and 9th, this was something that they would begin to sing regularly. Now, the original song had seven verses to it. And the church, a week before Christmas Eve, would begin singing. And they would sing one verse every night leading up to Christmas Eve. Eve. And one of the coolest things they would do is they would take two different groups, two different choirs of monks, and they would face each other, almost like the Sharks and the Jets. West Side Story. There you go. We've got culture. And they would sing. One would sing the first half of a verse, and the other would echo with the second half of the verse. Hear me now. The church has always been in need of telling and reminding itself the truth of the gospel story of a God who came, loved, lived, died, rose, and will come again. And so they would sing these different verses and, and here's sort of the way that the verses look, just to show you real fact. Now, this, of course, was in Latin. One of the interesting things you'll notice, though, is that these are all the titles 
So it's O wisdom, O God, O root of Jesse, O key of David, O dayspring, O king of the Gentiles, O Emmanuel, which is God with us. All of these are actually titles given for Jesus in the book of Isaiah. And one of the things, if you read the lyrics, the song is written from the perspective of Israel. And it goes through the moments throughout the Old Testament of Israel being in captivity and needing help or Israel needing wisdom and calling for wisdom. Israel claiming the promise that God has not done with them yet, that the promise of David is still their promise, that God's rule and reign began and will never end. These are all titles of Jesus answering a need of the Old Testament nation of Israel. Now, we get the title from actually what was once the last verse of the song. In the original Latin, O Emmanuel was the last verse, not the first. And we get this title, God with us, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. And this is the passage for today where it says these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him, say this word out loud with me, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the song was to some degree lost to history until a man by the name of John Mason Neal discovered the Latin song and decided to translate it into English for the rest of us. Now, Neil was a brilliant, brilliant Anglican priest. He was so smart, he could read and write in 20 different languages. Quick show of hands. How many of us struggle to read and write in one language? Anyone else here? How many of us are thankful for spell check? Anyone else give a, oh yeah. This guy's brilliant, but the problem was... The church didn't know what to do with him because he was brilliant and because he had Protestant leanings. He was Anglican, but he kind of sympathized with the Protestants. The church said, we don't know what to do with you. So they exiled him to the western coast of Africa. And while he was there, he spent time taking old songs, finding them, translating them so centuries of churches in the future would enjoy the truth of these songs. But he didn't just translate songs. This was a man who established orphanages for children. He helped prostitutes come off the streets and get a new life. One of the things I love about Neil is he sounds very similar to so many of the things that are the heartbeat behind the church here at Clear Creek. See, he did not simply sing about the coming of Christ. He lived the reality of the Christ who has come. He allowed God with us to live through us. And so what I want to do this morning is I simply want us to zero in on one little phrase from this song, And it's the opening line in our English translations, which is this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Now this phrase, ransom captive Israel, comes from this idea that Israel, the nation of Israel, was constantly getting in trouble. Do you know anyone who constantly got in trouble? Any of you have siblings who constantly got in trouble? Any of you were the sibling that got in trouble. This is a nation marked by getting in trouble. And so they cry out for help. A ransom is simply a price paid for someone who is imprisoned, who is captured, or someone who has been kidnapped. And so sometimes we'll watch the movie or we'll hear about that rare case about a group of people who are kidnapped or an individual who is kidnapped and the ransom note appears If you give me this much money, I will give you this 
person. Now, depending on the person, we might say, oh, yeah, the money is worth it. But depending on the person, we might say, we're going to keep the money. You keep great Aunt Fifi. We don't want her back. But we need ransom. Why? Because they were captives. One of the things, if you know anything about the history of the Jewish people, the Israelite people throughout their history, from their inception to today, is that they are in almost this cycle, this wash cycle of liberation, captivity, liberation, captivity, liberation, captivity. So it begins way back first with the nation of Israel being enslaved to the nation of Egypt. God liberates, though, because they cry out, help us. And God hears them, delivers them, and they are free. But then they get into a cycle of captivity and liberation when they come into the promised land because they constantly stepped away from God and then back to God and then away from God and then back to God. And then it was not just Egypt and then the Canaanite nations, but then they were enslaved to Babylon and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks And the Romans, by the time the first century, by the time Jesus rolls onto the scene, Israel has been enslaved for cumulative over a thousand years. I just just want to ask you this morning, I'm not going to ask you, are you enslaved this morning? Because most of us would say, no, well, I am married, but no. Jokes, jokes. But if I did ask you this question, how many of you feel trapped this morning? I suspect many hands would go up. How many of us this morning, don't raise your hand, but how many of this morning would say, honestly, I feel trapped because of some decisions I've made? I'm dealing with the fallout. I'm dealing with the consequences. I feel trapped because of something I did. Or maybe I feel trapped because of the consequences of what someone else has done. Or I feel trapped, or I feel the experience, the consequences, the captivity of what leaders in our city or our nation or wherever it may be, have done. Some of us this morning, if we were very honest, we'd say, I do feel trapped. I feel trapped in my finances. I feel trapped in a relationship. I feel trapped in this particular area of life. See, it's not simply Israel who is captive to something. The truth is we are all captives in one way or another. See, this song doesn't just speak to the physical captivity of Israel, but it speaks to the spiritual captivity that they experience. Let me talk with you for a moment theologically here because at church we don't simply want to say do this have a good life we want to get under what causes the problems and understand what is really going on so we can understand what god is doing see israel was not simply enslaved physically this was simply an external representation for what was going on in their hearts spiritually Every form of physical captivity is ultimately the result of what we call sin. See, when you step outside of God's way of doing things, when you say, I will do it my way, not thy way, that is called sin. And when we leave God's way of doing things, see, all of us were born into and intended to live under the rule, the reign, the protection, the provision of God. And when you order your life the way God has designed things, they tend to go better. But what happens is when you say, I will do it my way, I'm going to be my own God, I'm going to choose my way, you step out from under the protection and the provision of God and things begin to break. And what happens is you and I live in a world that is marked by people who have stepped out from under the protection of God and the consequence is enslavement. Enslavement to our own desires, enslavement to our own addictions, 
enslavement to our own preferences, enslavement to our own issues, enslaved then to the decisions, issues, and addictions of other people. See, what's going on here is Israel is captive because, yes, other people, but because of themselves. There's at the core problem. It's not that you don't have enough money. It's not that your marriage isn't the way you should, it should be or this or that. It is that at our core, we are enslaved to sin apart from a gracious God. And so they cry out, we need someone to save us. In fact, that's what's going on here. The O come, O come is really a cry. Uh, one of our favorite versions of this song, I encourage you to look it up later and listen to it. It's by artist Joshua. Do you remember the last name? I forgot the last name. Aaron, thank you, Joshua Aaron. He is a Hebrew musician. And I love the way he sings it because when he gets to the cry, one, he sings portions of it in Hebrew, which is just beautiful. But he cries out this part in such a way that you feel the angst of centuries of enslavement. It is a heart cry that you hear through his words. Because when you get what has gone wrong in the soul, you can do nothing more than to cry out, come, help me, save me, liberate me. And they don't simply say, come, to a random force. But they say, come, God with us, because there's nothing big enough to fix what's wrong inside and outside of each of us except for the power of God. Now we really clear this morning. It's very easy to get into a self-helpy kind of world. But I need you to understand, friend, that what is at stake and the core problem in every one of us is ultimately we have decided to be our own gods and it hasn't worked well. As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? This is the reality. And then there's this question, though, because we can cry out to someone. But here's the question I always come to. Go ahead and put this up. Just because I call doesn't mean you'll come. Isn't that true? Just because you call out for help, does it mean someone's really going to show up? Have you ever had a friend who said, I will be there. You call whatever you need. I'll get there. I'll be there. And then you call. It's that moment. You call in your marker. You ask for help and they don't pick up. See, just because you call doesn't mean the person's going to answer, does it? How many of us have witnessed that over the past few years where people have called out to different individuals, organizations, or governments and nothing has happened to fix the problem? See, just because we cry out, what is the guarantee? What is the guarantee that God is going to show up and do something? See, the idea for many of us that God will rescue me again and again just seems to be too good to be true because you and I both know what we've done. Not over our life, but just this past week. What thoughts have we had? What words have we spoken? What promises have we broken? When have we said we'd do this, but we did that? And see, there's this thing, I think a lot of us, we think, yeah, God will show up one time when I ask the first time, but I've broken his heart so many times. I've stepped out from under his protection so many times. There's no chance that he will show up again. And in fact, I think ultimately we come to this question, why would God come near me? After all, I know me. I know what I've done. I know where I've been and who I've been with. Why would God come near me? And this is the question. If you don't hear anything else, the answer to that question is answered in the name Emmanuel and in the time in which the name was given. See, the name Emmanuel means God with us. Okay, that's great, Diggs, but what does that have to do with anything? It was given to the people through the prophet Isaiah. Why is that important? Here's why. 
The prophet Isaiah prophesies from God to the people of Israel while they were in bondage, while they were exiled, while they were captives. You say, so what? What's the big deal? They were enslaved because they had sinned against God. They had broken God's heart so many times. God in the Old Testament describes them as a wayward spouse who God finally says, I I don't know what to do with you anymore. And yet, in the moment of adultery, God comes with this promised word to his people. He says, I'm not done with you. Oh, sweet wife. Oh, sweet partner, I'm not done with you. And I'm going to prove it to you because there's coming a day when a virgin is going to give birth to a child and the name given to this child is God with us. See, we all live in relationships that are contractual. If I do this, you'll do that. If you do this, then I'll do that. And we know this because if someone doesn't keep their end of the bargain, we move away from them. Whether it's in a marriage, a neighborhood, a family, a church. But he says, my relationship with you is not like any other relationship. I don't love you because of your goodness. I love you in spite of all the things you've done wrong. So why would God come near me? What we get to see here in this moment is because God loves me. Now, this is a very important word because it's not God loves all of y'all. Although he does. Because until you get, though, that God loves you personally... Me personally, none of this makes any sense. None of this matters. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, is a wish. It's not a reality. But when you and I get that God loves you personally, that God knows your name personally, that God created you personally, then everything begins to change. And all of a sudden, the things we have chosen to do wrong, we recognize there's a God who loves us beyond our sin. God loves us in spite of our sin. And without that love, we are dead in our sin. But praise be to God, there is a God who doesn't run from us in our sin, but comes to us in our sin. In fact, the power, I love this, the power of Emmanuel is that God's name, this is God's name for himself, and he gives it when the people were distant from God. And then he says, there's coming a day when this child is coming. In fact, this is what Matthew accounts. Look at this. All this took place, 400 years after Isaiah's prophecy, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, I think if you ever get to that point where you go, yeah, but I've done too much, God is silent, God isn't with me, what's going on? I've done too much. 400 years after the prophecy, God says, you've not done too much. I'm bringing the one. His love never fails. And not just to people out there, but his love never fails to you or to me. In fact, isn't this what John 3.16 says? We're all so familiar with this. For God so loves the world. Now, I know when we hear that, we go, the world, yes, y'all, it's not me. By the way, how many of you have heard John 3.16 before? Any of you heard it before? How many of you have seen it, like painted on a football player's face right there? And, and he, by the way, that's always kind of made me giggle a little bit because if you're close enough to see John 3.16 on a 300-pound man barreling down towards you, he's that close because he is not there to give you the love of God. You get what I'm saying? For God so loved the world. But it's not the world. It's individual people who make up the world. So let's just do a little exercise this morning. Let's make this real. I need you to help out. This is all skate moment here. Go ahead. Turn to the person to your right or your left. You already know them, so this should be easy. Are you ready? Here's all you need to do. You need to say hi 
My name is? Say your name. Don't, not, okay, okay, I knew you were going to do that, okay. Say your personal name to the person. Okay, go ahead, tell them your name, do it. Here we go. Okay, you know your name, the person knows your name, so let's do this. Let's personalize it. See, it's not some ambiguous love out there. It's love in here that changes life. So let's do it this way. For God so loved, what's, what's your name? Put your name in there instead. For God so loved Andy. For God so loved Mandy. Anthony. Lina. For God so loved you. See, Athens not about just all the people in some vague sense. God knows you're garbage and he loves you. He chose you. And he doesn't run away. I don't care what your experience with everyone else has ever been. They may have run from you when you sinned, but God is the one who doesn't run from you in your sin, friend. He runs to you in your sin. And Advent, Christ comes not in a palace, but He comes in a dingy manger in the garbage of the world to say that no one is so far gone, so in the mud and straw that God's love cannot reach them. God loves you. For God so loved you that He gave His one, His only little boy, that not whoever, but if I, if you, would just believe in Jesus, then what, notice this, then I won't, you won't. We individually will not perish. See, the end of your story does not have to be dictated by the past bad decisions of your story. But Christ breaks into the middle of time, breaking it from B.C. to A.D., before Christ and a new day. He says this is the new way. Because I love you. And I just wonder how this year, this time of year, when so many things are just amplified, the pain and the pleasure, the excitement and the sadness, all the things are so big for us just to pause and say there was this moment in human history when God, infinite, came and one of us because he loves me. How would that change everything? How would that change you for tomorrow when you step into that meeting and your boss just starts drilling down on you for you to go, but God loves me. My worth is not based on my performance. How would it change how you interact with other people when you know that your value before God is not based on the value you give others? We do that because we're loved, but not to get love. How would it change everything? For God so loves me. And God so loves you. See, here's the good news. Christmas, put this up. Christmas proves God's love. Because he came for you. He came for me. One last little detail from the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. In the original Latin, each one of these Latin phrases for Jesus, one of the interesting things is, The Benedictine monks, you say, Benedictine, what's that? Well, that's just an order of monks. They organize this song very intentionally, and it actually has a hidden meaning under the surface because they organized it that if you take the letters, the first letter of each of Christ's titles, but you read it backwards, 
it comes up with this phrase, aerocrats, and I don't put it up yet. You say, why backwards? Because all week they're singing towards the arrival of Jesus. And now Christ is saying back to them this phrase, tomorrow I come. That's what this phrase means. It's almost as though saying, God, come, God, come. I just need you. I have done so much. I can't fix it. I'm stuck in my own garbage, in my own addiction, and in my own pain. I've done so many wrong things. And the promise, the call back in the song is he says, tomorrow I come. Yes, Christmas Day, but friend, there is coming a tomorrow. Or what about this? Could it be even possible that Jesus shows up today for a second return? He loves you. And so that's why on the night before Jesus died, he said to his followers, I will not leave you as orphans, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back for you. Why? Why? Because I love you. Because I love you personally. See, that's what this season is about. A good God broke into history because he loves his kiddos. So I don't know where you are this morning. For some of us, we just need to do business with God. We need to, for maybe the first time, with all of our garbage, instead of saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, say, thank you, Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, this morning as we celebrate the second Sunday of Advent and the love that Christ gave, I thank you that in this moment we realize it's not because of the good we've done that you love us, but because at your very essence you are love. And for all who will say yes to you, putting you on in baptism, they can receive that gift from you. Lord, for the men and women in here who need to know that they are loved, that what their spouse has said or done does not dictate how much love they've received. What's happened in this world, what's happened in their family, what happens in their work, But I pray that this morning they would know that they are loved by the perfect, infinite God. And you proved it by sending your little boy into this world. And Father, for anyone who needs to say yes and receive it, I pray that you will prompt them this morning. That they can come to know you, putting you on in baptism. Literally being overwhelmed by your love, covered all around by it. We love you, Jesus. Come, Emmanuel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.